Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On today's episode, we will discuss A Quiet Place. This film was directed by John Krasinski, written by John Krasinski, Scott Beck, and Brian Woods. In a post-apocalyptic world, a family is forced to live in silence while hiding from monsters with ultra-sensitive hearing. A Quiet Place absolutely knocked me out when I saw it for the first time because it was so surprisingly good. Like to sleep or? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I fell asleep in the theater uh, because it was so quiet. (laughs) No, but Krasinski surprised me because I'd seen his two other films, which are, they're good. One's like a nice family comedy drama, dramedy, and then one's like this docudrama that he filmed. And uh, they're both nice, but I was not expecting this from him. Yeah, it's such an impressive film for a third movie from a director clearly showcases that he's immensely talented and he's growing to this new skill of directing he like you say directed those couple indies but he also he also did i think three episodes of the office but this movie was on a different level and and krasinski actually almost turned it down he was about to start work on that jack ryan show on amazon producers asked asked if he'd be interested in appearing in the film he says he doesn't do horror films but then when he heard the synopsis or idea where a family can't make any noise and you have to figure out why he's completely interested, jumped on board and wanted to direct it. And you actually thank Michael Bay for this to happen because he directed that Benghazi movie, which Krasinski led. And remember he got all ripped for that and it was a big deal. And <laughs> for you, apparently <laughs> I was like, no, 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 okay. I don't care about that stuff. <laughs> yeah. I care about the personality, <laughs> but, um, Michael Bay gave him the script and was like, hey, we need an actor for this and offered the role to him. And Krasinski liked it so much, he decided to take over, rewrite it and direct it and star in it. So you got to thank Michael Bay for making this whole thing happen because otherwise Krasinski rewrote the draft. But the first draft, um, it it was very similar for the setup, but I think it ultimately was a very different plot. Whereas Krasinski brought it down to just be about a family. I think that the original scope was a little bit bigger. The best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You'll get perks like messages, personalized videos, our podcast schedule for upcoming episodes. Top tier patrons also get a monthly shout out on the podcast. And all patrons get exclusive video content as well as they are entered into product and fun giveaways every month. Head on over to our website, Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Check out all of our sources of content, our merch, and our custom movie posters. You can also become a patron there. Which is maybe what we're going to see with the sequel, which is going to be both a continuation of the end of the first film. And also it looks like a flashback to probably the invasion of the meteor crashing and these monsters coming and tearing apart humanity. Yeah, and I'm all for that, getting the scope big and wide now. But I, one of my favorite things about the first film is that it is so small. It's mm. just about this small drama between these four people and trying to survive under these circumstances. And that's the strength of it because not having other characters allows you to really uh, empathize and, and really relate to these people in the film. Yeah, and the attention to detail of Krasinski's directing in this film is absurdly good. I mean, just little things like the trail of, the trails of sand to prevent sound of cracking leaves and twigs, obviously. But even things like in the store in the beginning of the movie, no one ransacked the chips and crunchy foods because that's 
enough noise to get you killed by these aliens. And, oh, yeah. Great point. And these little things that. like the newspapers and notes to fill the audience in on what's really going on. And he uses sound so incredibly well. It's very effective because when he doesn't use it, when he does decide to use it, the subtle noises he does, the music from the headphones, the heartbeat of the baby at the stethoscope. And just in general, I mean, we don't hear any spoken dialogue really until about 35, 40 minutes into the film. Obviously, a lot of sign language is prevalent in this film. But for the most part, I think there's 25 spoken lines of dialogue in this movie. And in, in terms of the, back to attention to detail, um, like the family, they eat on leaves. Like a big, each one has a big leaf for a plate and they have paint marks on the hardwood floors for to avoid any creaky parts of the floor to not make any noise. And the attention to detail is amazing because with this film, it basically plays as a silent film. Most like you, you can watch this movie with it, without any sound with just a score and it would still feel the same and Krasinski did such a great job directing because he gives you all the information you need to know with the camera so that's why the camera work in this film is so important because we're not relying on dialogue exposition none of that so he's instead giving us all the same information but showing us so like you said newspaper clippings and just the opening shot it's a traffic light on the ground covered in leaves so clearly that's been there for a while so that immediately tells us that Things got messed up, and it's been a while. So you don't even need to anyone to tell us anything because this town, this store has been ransacked, and it's just a great way to tell us all the info without telling us. Yeah, the, and within two minutes, we know the rules of the world pretty much. We know the day count. It's like day 89, so we're about three months into this, whatever this disaster is. And like in addition to that traffic light down, we just get the opening shots, setting the scene, setting the world of just this empty downtown area in a small town. Um the family, the way they react to just like this battery operated toy that's not even going off yet, acting like it's about a bomb about to go off. That really shows Hazard Krasinski does that to show you the audience that sound is so important in this movie. It's the biggest enemy in this film, the antagonist besides the aliens. And also he lets us in within a couple minutes later, the major threat of these aliens, these monsters and how dangerous they actually are and how dangerous it is to make a single noise. And I don't even think he he plays the score until after the store scene when the family's walking. Then the score starts playing. So there's no music in the first uh, scene as well. So it's just sound effects. That's yeah. it. Music by Marco Beltrami. And he does an amazing job like with the ambiance of this world and playing to the effect of very minimal noise, very minimal tones, but then obviously very loud scores later on. Beltrami's great because... His Logan score as well. That's one of the one of the best like character scores I think in terms of themes that I've ever heard. And he's just great at creating these themes that match stories really well. Yeah, he's but he's done all of James Mangold's films like Three Ten of Yuma and Logan and stuff. And that, I think the strength of this movie is the silence because when you take away one of the senses, I mean, yes, we're hearing music and we're hearing sound effects, but when you mostly take away the the sense of hearing when you're watching a movie in terms of. Uh, taking in dialogue and interpreting dialogue and just processing what characters are saying, um, it's one less thing to pay attention to and process. So then our, our attention is devoted to just the frame. And that's why the filmmaking is so important for a movie like this, because uh, since you're not taking in the information verbally or, or trying to pay attention to people as they talk, we're, t we're paying more attention to the frame. And the cinematography in this movie is very strong. And it's beautiful. It, it's, it's great. Uh, so a female cinematographer, actually, I can't remember her name, but she did, she knocked it out of the park and they, they shot on film. But but this is a movie where every frame matters. Every single shot matters. Every camera movement matters. And Charlotte Bruce Christensen did okay. the cinematography. There we go. Yeah. 
and she she did a, a fantastic job I and mean, it's one of the strengths of the movie for sure yeah cinematography is incredible like you said because we're not hearing dialogue we really the audience needs to look at something engaging and amazing blocking as well like besides cinematography but also there's that scene where lee is taking his son fishing and then reagan the daughter is upset because she doesn't get to go and not just not only is it a beautiful shot but blocking wise with the characters they're just walking in opposite directions they're heading towards the fishing hole and then she's walking away angrily so things like that that you don't need dialogue to explain because we really know what's going on and we talk about that a lot in film when we're discussing and analyzing movies you don't need dialogue to tell a story you you can if you're writing a screenplay i would suggest cutting like 35 to 40 percent of your dialogue today on whatever script you're working on because most of it is just fluff you don't really need it unless you're quentin tarantino or a great screenwriter then sure write all the dialogue yeah Yeah, but like if you're not them cut half your dialogue almost because you don't need it and you don't need it to, to tell a story and fortunately this family they're in a pretty good situation because their daughter reagan is deaf, which is why they are overprotective of her because she's deaf in a world where if you make a noise, you'll pretty much die. So she's at a great disadvantage in a way because she can't hear herself. And that's shown when the monster's right behind her and yeah. she doesn't even know it's there because she can't hear anything. Yeah, she's luckily gets it to go away because of the earpiece. But fortunately, but also her character is very ironic because you think that she's such a burden to the family, but really she's a great strength to the family because. Since they have a deaf child, they all know sign language. And they have you can assume they've been communicating like this for a while. So they've already lived in a way with silence in their lives. I'm sure when they're having dinner before the invasion that they were very quiet around her just to, so that she doesn't feel left out of not being able to speak and understand what they're saying. So in the, also in a world where you can't make a noise, this family is poised to succeed and adapt very well because they can communicate so well without making a sound. And you can imagine that tons of families and people probably died because they were frustrated with poor communication and maybe had outbursts and and got upset about things and they didn't communicate well and that led to their death. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. The leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Over 2 million men are using Manscaped products right now. That number keeps going up because their products are absolutely incredible. Their lawnmower 3.0 groomer. It's got a built-in light. It's waterproof. You can use it in the shower. Sensitive to the touch. It's the best clippers I've ever used in my life. Fellas, you got to get on Manscaped products, their cologne, their body deodorizers, their their wipes, their boxer briefs, t-shirts, everything is high quality, fantastic products. I'll be using these for the rest of my life. Everyone listening, manscaped.com products are amazing gifts for the men in your lives, especially their packages. So check those out. It has a combination of different products. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Yeah, the the skills of the nonverbal communication is why the family survive. And you can imagine the second film, if the other characters, they must have, most of them must have some of the same background of being able to sign, um, because it's the reason why they made it this far. And the and so the re- the reason why they're so protective of Reagan, like you said, is because she wouldn't know if she made a loud sound by accident. Exactly. Like if she knocked something over or whatever. Like she can't hear the it. monster behind her. Yeah. Like that's why that she, they're overprotective of her. Yeah, exactly. But ironically, she's the reason why they've made it this far. And I like how Krasinski shows that there are other survivors out there. Um, when when Lee lights that fire atop the the mill, and then you see a. a few other flames in the distance in the landscape it shows you that other people have survived but they can't even risk 
going to see one another or trying to communicate or trying to communi communize at all because then it would risk making too much noise and drawing attention. And so uh, he, he, I think he wisely shows that there are people out here as well, but they're all isolated from one another. So everyone's like restricting their access to the world. Yeah, it reminds me so much of Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, when they light the torches. <laughs> it looks just like that. And this this movie, what's so powerful about it, and I think that every scene when you watch this movie is powerful. Every scene's emotional. Every scene makes you feel something different. And that's one of the great strengths of the movie because the stakes are so high and we have to pay attention so well. But also... Not only is this a, a movie and a story about monsters coming to Earth from alien monsters destroying humanity and killing everybody and you're not be allowed to make a sound, but it's a, a, a story about family. It's a story about love. Obviously, we have the themes of fear, death. But we also have themes of life. And we have this great theme of grief. And this family, yes, they're trying to survive, but it's also a family going through grief and dealing with it on their own individual ways, you know, because they lost their son, Bo, at the beginning of the film. And every character in the movie pretty much blames themselves in a way. Mostly Reagan, she blames herself because she's the one who gave the rocket to Bo. Not the batteries, but she just gave him the rocket. And then Evelyn blames herself too because she's, she says to herself, I could have carried him. I could have been carrying him the whole time. And I, I think a lot of people might watch this and think, why is the, the three-year-old trailing behind? Why aren't they paying better attention to him? You have to remember, this was about day 89. We're about three months into this catastrophe. People make mistakes. They're not fully adapted to the situation yet. And he's three or four years old. I mean, how is a kid like that supposed to understand what's going on? I mean, you're not like turned on technically. You're not like alive and, and like you're not aware of the world really. You're just trying to be a kid. You're trying to have fun. So it's so- Kids break rules. Yeah, that's what kids do. Yeah. They want to have fun and play. Kids kids that age, they're trying to understand what the boundaries are, what rules are. And even if they don't know what a rule is, they'll try those they'll sometimes push their luck and see what happens. They don't and really so, understand consequences yeah, yet. So it's totally fine that the kid made that mistake. And ultimately everyone should take blame, but I think Lee secretly takes the most blame because of his role. So this movie's interesting because there are a lot of um ancient and traditional themes because first of all you can look at the, the entire film through religious lenses like as in the the aliens the death angels are they you could be you could say they were they're demons that were sent down to earth to carry out the apocalypse and everyone who survived is either um good or uh, some kind of good goodness within them and that's why they've survived and but you could look at this as a, a religious apocalypse in a way and then also uh, the the family takes on uh traditional uh roles uh, in terms of like throughout humanity, in terms of the mother is the the nurturer and the caregiver of the family, and then the father is the protector, he's the hunter, and that's why Lee is so affected by the loss of his son because he's supposed to protect them. And Evelyn even tells him later when she's incapacitated and can't help out, she says, "You have to protect him. Like that's your duty. That's your job. This is your role in the family now." When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In this part, in this world, it's like you have to protect us. And so when he has, when, when he, in my favorite line of the movie is, um, she says that who, who are we if we can't even protect them? If we can't protect our own children, who, th- where does that make us? And so it, it's a very powerful uh, a family drama with intense themes. And that's why it works so well. And that's why it resonates so well with everyone who saw it. And let's talk about the monsters for a moment. Oh, yeah. Because these are really cool beings. They're, like you said, death angels or the angels of death. That's what they call them. Um, they're the main antagonist, but you could argue that sound is the main antagonist and they're kind of like the result of, of that. So there's, there's really two antagonists to this movie sound and these, these death angels and they're a species, the super evolved extraterrestrial species that arrived on earth when these meteors or this giant meteor landed on the surface. I think, I think crashed in Mexico. Yeah. yeah, Southern American country, Central American country. And they're so advanced because they're so advanced because we're on their planet they're able to survive anything and they're designed to survive anything in a way they're almost I think some of the notes that Lee has he calls them indestructible he's like what is their weakness and they really don't have a weakness that they know of yet because they obviously they're blind so I guess you could say that's their their main weakness that they know of but they have indestructible armor and because of this perfectly evolved being that they are they're able to pretty much massacre all living life on earth not just human beings we even show see them kill one of those raccoons in the in the path or something <laughs> like that and they're really interesting because their heads they can unfold and they have like these enormous ears like structures where they can hear the tiniest minute sounds and for example they can hear a floorboard creaking miles away you know this is why they, no one bought those chips or took the chips because you make a crunch with a chip you're gonna die and so the idea of these aliens is terrifying because they're almost a perfect evolutionary killing machine they're kind of like a shark in the ocean sharks in the ocean are the perfect perfect animal probably the most perfect species of animal on the planet earth and that's what these aliens are and in terms of their hearing it's not just that they can hear the the tiniest of sounds they can change frequencies so on those moments and shots where uh krasinski pushes in on their ears what the what the aliens are doing is they're changing frequencies to try and hear better hear whatever the sound is and that's why reagan's earpiece affects them because when they change the frequency onto that frequency it it causes interference and that's what causes the interference because they're able to somehow naturally change frequencies which is something no animal on on this planet can do i don't think of and they also somehow interact with electricity which i don't think is fully explained the frequencies yeah that's what i'm talking about is that what it is yeah so yeah so they do uh, interact with electricity so that's why yeah when whenever one's showing up the lights flicker because they're they're interfering with the frequencies, trying to locate whatever sound they hear. Yeah, but the creature design is just terrifying. And Krasinski was actually the one who did the motion capturing of how they're supposed to move. And I, I read that during their pre-screenings, the test screenings with, with test audiences, um, the film wasn't fully done yet and the CGI wasn't finished and rendered. And while the people were watching the movie, they were laughing when they were supposed to be terrified when they saw the aliens. That's because Krasinski was in his leotard doing the motion capture on screen. So, like, the CGI wasn't done, so it looked a little ridiculous, I'm sure. But movies can be silly sometimes. Yeah, like, I've actually seen a couple movies pre-finished. Like, you can get free movie screenings. And yeah, yeah. there'll yeah. be, like, notes on the actual thing that says this is supposed to be an explosion and stuff like that. Or it'll be, like, a graphic that looks like a, a 12-year-old made it on their computer. Yeah, but it's it's worth it if you go see a movie that doesn't have a lot of special effects. Yeah. And 
the design of the creatures, they actually was a last minute thing that they they weren't sh- when they made the film, they didn't know what they were going to look like. So when Krasinski was acting as the creatures, like he didn't know exactly how they'd move or what they'd be like, and it was something they they couldn't figure out until very last minute. Um, and when they did finally figure out the creature design, um, they were able to uh, CGI the creatures in. But the the way Krasinski slowly reveals the creatures is fantastic because the first time we see them is that uh, unforgettable opening scene when Bo is killed by that first one we see. And the Death Angel moves so quickly, immediately jumps across the bridge and just slaps that kid and chops him in half. And why are you, you're smiling right it's now? It's funny. It's just <laughs> it's funny. It's messed up. It's not funny, but it's just like no. It's just it's every crazy. Time, I know, every I time know. I see that movie, that scene, I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, it's like watching American Psycho. You're not supposed yeah, to laugh, but sometimes exactly. it's funny. And then it's and Krasinski shows more and more. And even when he does show things like we can see their ears, we he doesn't show the entire bodies. And it's not until the the third act of the film where we can see in their entirety what these creatures look like. And I think the creature design is fantastic. They did an unbelievable job. Something original, unique. And it's, it's hard to pull off an alien design that doesn't look like it's been done before. And I think they did it. Before we continue, I got to tell you about MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. MoviePosters.com has teamed up with us to offer a very special discount of 15% off your order. Use Raiders15, again, Raiders15, when you check out at MoviePosters.com to get 15% off your order today. They are the number one spot to get your posters online. If you're looking at our uh, podcast on YouTube, you'll see that our set is decked out with these amazing posters. Any movie imaginable, all sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting, MoviePosters.com can handle it. They've also teamed up with us to sell our custom movie posters. Head on over to RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com to check those posters out today. And again, use our coupon code Raiders15, again Raiders15, at MoviePosters.com to get 15% off your order today. Yeah, and I think a lot of people question showing the monsters so early. Like, it's, it's you know, they compare it to Jaws. Like, they didn't show, that was what's most effective about Jaws. They don't show the shark until well into the movie. But I think that we needed to see the monster because it's not a movie like Jaws. We all know what sharks look like. We all know their presence in the ocean. But I think we needed to see these monsters because... If the villain is just sound and we don't see the result of it, we don't see the cause of, of the result of death from it, then we're, we're not really as engaged in the story, I don't think, and I think, or the threat. And I think you have to see the monster in this specific story because, again, sound is the first killer, but the, mon- the monster is the second killer. And also, he, I think it's, it's vital to show how they interact with sound. So that shot with Reagan... When she's in the cornfield and it shows a the close up of the creature and it's in his head opens and you can see inside of its ears, we need those shots so we can understand how these creatures interact with the outside with the world, how they use their sense of sound to locate prey, and I think it's it's important to the story because otherwise it would be kind of confusing when the radio signal, like how do you show that the radio signal affects it negatively? I mean, it, it's hard to pull that off without showing the alien. So. I agree. I think they need to be shown, but he did a smart job by just showing bits and pieces of them for the first half of the film until it's all out hell. You know what I mean? And in terms of the aliens, it's it, it's clear that the aliens, they don't kill to eat. They don't eat their prey. It seems as though they kill anything that makes a noise because uh, n- any kind of noise is unbearable to them. Because on their planet where they're from, there probably isn't noise. And so 
that's how they evolved in that environment. And so when they were thrust upon this new environment where there's just sound everywhere, their 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 sense of sound is so sensitive that anything hurts them. And that's why do you think it's sound hurts them? Or sound, sound sound physically hurts them. I think it's unbearable for them to hear it, and that's why they get so aggressive and just kill anything that makes a sound because I think it's harmful to them. Yeah, it's an interesting theory because their sound their sense of hearing is so so sensitive. Yeah, I, I think, mean, just think about if you hear a really loud noise, it's harmful, right? It yeah, hurts your ears, right? Yeah. Well, I figure it's also maybe that and also a survival instinct that I'm just going to kill anything that makes noise because it can't be alive and I have to be the only one that's alive or, or something like that. But that probably makes sense as to why they're so aggressive about sound. Yeah, exactly. And that's why like that change of frequency literally incapacitates them. Yeah, and we actually don't see them feeding or eating at all. They don't even show them they don't eating eat, like the yeah. raccoon. They just smash it and yeah. splat it. Yeah. So they just smash things. They could eat all that corn. There's there's no corn. They're not eating that up. Who? Yeah, I mean, they might not even eat eat organic food. You don't even know. Yeah, I was joking. Oh. They're, they're not going to eat corn. <laughs> <laughs> well, they haven't had cornbread yet. <laughs> Some cornbread corn, stuff is pretty good. <laughs> but I, I think that's 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 what it is. They just they can't bear loud sounds. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. And again, this is a horror film. It's terrifying. These aliens come from outer space and start killing everybody. But one of the best, one of the great strengths of the film is how grounded it is with this family, their relationships, the relationships between Reagan and her parents and her brother and Marcus and his parents and her sister and his sister. And also the relationship between Evelyn and Lee, which you can assume for the last year and a half, because now we're about after the death of Bo, it's day 492, I think. Yeah, it's been over 300 days. Yeah, so it's been over a year since their since their son's death. Over 400 days. Yeah. <laughs> My math It's been sucks. over a year. <laughs> and again, they're dealing with the grief, but they're also bringing new life into the world. So with all the death around them, they're bringing new life. But with that comes the responsibility of having to try to protect their family and they're bringing life into this world. And with a newborn baby, that thing's going to cry for years before it's, it learns to like at least know how to be quiet in a way. So they have to prepare for that situation because, of course, they look at Reagan as a disadvantage to them in a potential hazard, which is why they're overprotective of her. But now they're going to have a newborn baby, which I'm sure anything could hear. So they have to soundproof their basement. And it's not ready yet. That's why they're still paper macheing the walls and they're trying to figure everything out and they have the mattress and everything. But it's such an intense situation, but it also shows you that love is still alive. Love is what separates us from these monsters, these beings, family, togetherness, community. These are just great, strong themes that are present with this family. And this family has adapted so well, again, because of the sign language and being able to communicate so well. That's one of their great strengths, but also adapting so well to every other situation too. But on top of the... The familial drama, what makes this film really great are the conflicts, the situational conflicts that Krasinski put into the movie. And I'm talking like, so if you think about it, this movie takes place just on a bad day. You know what I mean? For everyone. It's just like the, eventually a day like this was going to happen. They've made it this far and eventually something was going to go wrong and all hell was going to break loose and they were going to encounter aliens eventually. There's no way around it. And this happens to be that day. And, and she was going to give birth at some yeah, point. Yeah, she's going to give birth. And Krasinski sets up these really great situations, like like Evelyn literally giving birth while avoiding the Death Angel, which is nuts. And then um, then Evelyn tr find, discovers that the, the basement is flooding, and her child is literally floating in that basket 
right next to an alien and the nail on the step in the basement. So Krasinski put on, put all these great conflicts of situations into the plot where it's not just one thing. It's multiple conflicts that build and build and build and, and they lead to the final confrontation of Lee and the death angel when he rescues his children. So it's the, the, the building of the conflicts in this movie that I think is its strength in storytelling. Yeah. And this is the rare film where the nail in the stair in the stairs actually makes sense and they actually show how it got vertical because you know when you're hammering nails and steps and i don't know what kind of tools they're using they you don't really know what's going on what they look like going in inside the woods so they actually show the nail coming up rather than every horror movie they're like walking down the basement and there's just a nail sticking yeah, up yeah. but i love how they actually show how the nail got like that yeah every time she steps on that nail oh man, man oh, she pulls my, her foot up oh so my slow. god oh my god dude and and that nail must have been like whoever hammered it like they missed it a mark a little bit and so the nail just like flattened on the wood yeah so you just bash so it, you, bash you it don't in. always know what it looks so like going in so it's flush so yeah, yeah that's, that's what i mean that's it's not like it's a nail like that would never happen that's totally plausible for that happening but man, she should have just taken one bag at a time. <laughs> yeah, but like, there are so many terrifying scenes in this movie, and I think one of the most terrifying is when you just brought up how the basement gets flooded. So after she gives birth, and she's resting with the baby, and Lee has to go find Reagan and Marcus, he doesn't notice that that spout is going off, and there's water pouring into the basement. Yeah, and the pipe just got yeah. thrashed in half. And when Evelyn wakes up, the room's flooding, and the alien's there, and the baby's there. But you can argue that the water flooding up the basement right there probably of course it drew the alien there probably or maybe the baby drew the, it there making maybe whimpering in its sleep or crying i think it would have been there regardless yeah but, but so you're right you can argue that the water is what saved evelyn and the baby because without the noise from the splashing and the pipes and everything all around them and not being able to hide behind the falling water to avoid the making sound and having your sound dampened by it the alien would have definitely found Evelyn, would have definitely found the baby immediately. Yeah, that's that's such a great scene. And when the alien just dives into the water silently. It's so terrible. Oh we haven't seen what they're like in that element. The special effects look great in this. They did a, a fantastic job in the visual effects and the aliens look like it's so realistic. And one of the craziest facts about this movie is that when you look at um, the, uh, what do you call the, the cross that they made for, for Bo? A cross? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Crucifix. The memorial. Yeah. The, the memorial yeah, yeah. Uh, on the bridge. Um, on the cross, it says that Bo was born 2016 and he died in 2020, which means that the events of A Quiet Place of the Aliens landing and destroying the, the people on Earth took place in 2020. It's pretty wild. Pretty crazy. On that note, let's head on over to our intermission of this episode, which is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off. Now, let's begin with our movie quote competition. I'll go first. You ready? I'll, go, I'll say movie quote, Anthony will guess it, and then vice I'm versa. Ready. I'm ready. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Oh, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Let me Constantine? Go. No. You want a hint? Yeah. Uh, it's one of the best twist ending movies of all time. Oh, man. You want another hint? Yeah. Kaiser Soje. Oh, it's the usual suspects. Yeah. That's what he says at the end. Yeah. It's a great quote. Yeah. Good job. It's tough, but like it's like I yeah yeah. I was thinking of a religious movie. For, uh, Constantine's a pretty good guess. Yeah, it's definitely something religious for sure. All right, here's my quote: Never show anyone. They'll beg you and they'll flatter you for the secret, but as soon as you give it up, 
you'll be nothing to them. Say it again slower. Never show anyone. They'll beg you and they'll flatter you for the secret, but as soon as you give it up, you'll be nothing to them. Oh, man. I feel like I know this, man. Um, it's a period piece. What period? It's uh, 20th century. Ah, give me something else. Oh, it's, it's hard not to give away the actual movie. Just say it one more time. Probably not going to get it, though. Never show anyone. They'll beg you and they'll flatter you for the secret, but as soon as you give it up, you'll be nothing to them. I, I don't know. I give up. The Prestige. Oh! Borden says it yeah, about secrets the trick. to the yeah, kid. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. All right. Guess this movie release year. Requiem for a Dream. What year did it come out? 2001. 2000. Oh! One year off. Damn it. <laughs> All right. Toy Story. 1995. Yep. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Movie pop quiz. This is a pretty easy one. What Los Angeles landmark is used in both A Rebel Without a Cause and La La Land? Griffith Observatory. Bing, bing, bing. You got it. Who directed Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Oh, fuck. That's tough. Um, that's easy. He made the Green Hornet. <laughs> oh, sorry. Stop chewing ice on the podcast. <laughs> it's hot in here. <laughs> we want some chips and guac, too. This is a, muck a quiet place. Oh, a, shit, we're dead. Is this a mukbang video now? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know. I give up. Michael Gondry. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, and also, we have a hater this week. Oh, I love this. I love this segment. Let's see who our hater of the week is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, this is on a, a TikTok video we made of the Godfather talking about, spoiler alert, the oranges, the orange peels, the oranges signifying that a person's about to get killed or die or murdered, which are all synonyms. Um <laughs> So we made a video about that and Waked23 wrote, hmm, spoiler, dude. I literally was just about to watch it for the first time. And then Anthony responded, it's a 50-year-old movie because it is a 50-year-old movie. <laughs> if you're getting spo if you're upset about spoilers for The Godfather, like, what are you even doing on the internet? Like, people are so entitled. Like, the, that kid thinks the world revolves around him, whoever that person is. Like, <laughs> how dare you spoil a movie that was made in 1976? It's earlier than that. It's like 74. Godfather seven. Is it 68? Rocky came out. Wait, no, no, no. 74, maybe. But either either way, regardless, it's it's almost 20 years. It's almost 50 years. It's just under. But the 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 nerve of some people in the, in the sense of entitlement is so funny. And it, it on just the internet it comes out on the internet in our comment thread. It's no like, one has a filter. Yeah, no filters at all. It's like, yo, the world does not revolve around your viewing schedule of movies. <laughs> I don't give a fuck if you haven't seen it. You weren't going to see it anyway. Yeah, this kid wasn't going to watch it. He was just looking for a reason to be a victim. If you're 30 and you haven't seen The Godfather and complaining about it. And you follow our movie account, you should just like... You're not going to watch yeah, that movie. Yeah, it's not, it's never, it was never going to happen. 1972, Godfather. 72. All right, and that wraps up our intermission... You guys want to get back to a quiet place? Yeah. Let's go. And the turning point of the film, obviously, is when Reagan starts to discover and understand that her cochlear implant, this actually isn't a hearing aid because um, she has sensorineural senso hearing loss, which means her inner ear has sustained some sort of damage. So it's not a typical hearing aid that you would see. For her, I believe it happened when she was a baby. She was uh, the actress, yeah, Millicent Simmons. Yeah, she, she had an, over, an accidental yeah, an medication, overdo a medication, medical overdose when she was a baby. And um, so 
this cochlear implant, what it does is it translates vibrations in the air into nerve impulses that the brain perceives as sound. So that's why it has that effect on these aliens, and she starts to understand that. And this is what turns Reagan into what they think is a detriment to the family in a way that because she can't hear in a world where you can't make a sound, they have to worry pretty much about everything that she does. That's why she's not allowed in the basement because there's too many electronics and components down there. She she can make a noise. They don't want that to happen because she, like you, like you said, it's not because she's deaf. It's because she can't hear the noises that she's making with the aliens. And little do they know that Again, because they can communicate so well because they have a deaf child, so they know how to sign. But also, Lee has been working on this this implant and trying to perfect it and trying to get it to work. And his inability, ironically, to not make it work effectively is what creates it into the best weapon in the film against them. And, and Reagan goes from being um, someone that they have to constantly watch and overprotect to being a weapon against these aliens. I love the ending scene of this movie when they do figure that out and she just looks at her mother and there's like that that mutual recognition and then they see the aliens on the on the screens approaching the house and it's just like oh man cocks the shotgun and then she's like, tch, tch, cut to black like i i want to see that scene that's what's so great about the ending is like you want to see that but he cuts it early it makes you like crave you like you really want more from this world and that's why people are so excited for the sequel because I can't wait to see like how the story unfolds even further now that they can fight back. A really moving scene, I think, for this movie is also when Lee takes Marcus to the fishing creek to, to, to get the day's catch. And this causes turmoil between Reagan and Lee, of course, because she wants to go. Just like the basement, she can't go in the basement. She He doesn't want to take her on the fishing route for probably because the same reason she can't perceive her sounds. So she could be a danger to herself since she can't hear it, the noises. And it's a new it's a new route probably that only he knows. And also, I think it's a really great bonding moment between Lee and Marcus because Marcus... He's a brave little kid, but I mean, he's still like probably nine, 10 years old in this terrifying world. And his family's doing the best they can to develop him intellectually and emotionally. And I think that Lee wanted to take him there to show him that you don't have to be afraid of everything. And there are safe places to go. There are safe places, things you can do in those right areas. And to take him to the waterfall and give him that um, feeling of, of screaming into the water it looks like that kid's been just trying to scream for for over a year and a half just to let it out, to be able to hear his own voice and to to let that voice out. That's a great shot and moment where he screams and we're, we're way in the distance with a long lens and you don't hear a sound from him. All you hear is the waterfall and it's a great way of showing like how the waterfall can protect the family with sound and um I mean, if I was the family, I would have just moved next to the river. <laughs> yeah, but you got to have your crops. Yeah, I guess. Maybe yeah. maybe sleep over there. Yeah, sleep At there. least spend a little more time there. Yeah, a little but bit. But I think, I, I thought about that too. Why not just like live in that cave? But again, I think they had a great situation with the crops and also... Also, the risk of like building a new place would obviously cause a lot of noise. So that's, I mean, I guess that's clearly not an option if you think about it that way. Yeah, and just constantly traveling back and forth. But I think they had a good situation with their sand and they have the light system and... The red lights are really smart too, and that's one of the most intense scenes is when Evelyn's giving birth, her water breaks, and she has to flip on those red lights after she escapes the the death angel. And then, fortunately, Marcus has all those fireworks that he can set off. And I think that the reason they actually have fireworks is because if you go back with the timeline of it being day, what, 492, um, 
and the attack was in October. It matches up to the, it was in July when it started. So they had the end fireworks. of June. The so, end of June. So they were preparing for Fourth yeah, of so July. Yeah, so getting ready for Fourth of July. So yeah. that's why they have fireworks and they were saving them. Obviously, they didn't want to use them yet. Some dope fireworks. Yeah, not those are legit. But that scene's so intense when Evelyn's getting up the stairs and she's in the tub and she's Emily. Emily Blunt's acting in this movie is incredible. She's the best actress, obviously, in this in this entire film, and she she carries the movie emotionally. I think and. The acting of her trying not to express sound while being in severe pain of of dilation from dilation of the baby coming is in, insane. Especially for her, she's had two children, so she knows what the feelings like, and she's able to express it so well. But then to do it without making a noise, and then it's to the point where she's in the tub and she has to let it out. She has to scream, with the perfect timing of the fireworks at the same time. She's an unbelievable actor, and she, like you said, she's the emotional heart of this movie, and. She's so talented to be able to show like so much because she goes through a lot of pain in this movie, so much pain, and she has to repress all this pain as as much as she can to reduce her um, making any kind of noises. Yeah, not just physical, emotional yeah. pain too. Yeah, so much like she goes through the pain of not having her children, of of stepping on that nail, of giving birth, of the fear of death and grieving of for Bo in, the, in his bedroom by herself. Yeah, exactly. And, that's actually a great scene because, like, that's what I mean. People, we we all do that when we're thinking about something sad. Where you're, like you're just on your own and you just think about that and you let you let yourself cry sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I, I think she's doing there. That's why I love about this movie is we have these scenes of everyone grieving in their own ways. Emily or Evelyn in the bedroom in Bo's bedroom where it hasn't been touched in a year probably. Then also, um, Lee on top of the tower and he's looking at the photos and he, and he does he light the the photos of i think Bo he burned on, all i think them. he burned it to yeah. just try to let go of the memory of Bo. yeah and it's really emotional and really sad because again this family is going through so much grief as well as trying to stay alive and also krasinski is smart where he 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 sets up things that happen in the third act like for example the kids using the truck at the end to escape the death angel he sets it up in the the opening of the film when when Marcus is pretending to drive in the truck. Speaking of Marcus, what I like about this movie also is in the in the opening scene they're at that store because Marcus is sick and they need some sort of prescription to to help him out to make him feel better to save his life probably because you can imagine that even catching a cold in this kind of world where there's no more medication and no more hospitals or doctors or or nutrition really that a cold or something could probably kill you or a bad flu could kill somebody. And what I love about this is usually we have that trope of a kid who needs an inhaler all the time in a horror movie <laughs> or, fucking a, inhaler. or a kid who needs a, a shot every once in a while, which obviously it's terrible to anyone who's afflicted with those kinds of illnesses I had an and inhaler. diseases. You had, you had an inhaler when you were a kid. But like I'm not every, offended. It's okay. Every horror movie, there's like a kid who needs an inhaler. It's like, oh my God, here we it's go. It's just a, a cheap way of making conflict. Yeah, exactly. But I think I like how Krasinski, the opening scenes like that, but then they never, it just seemed like he had a flu probably. Or it was just a reason to go to the store. Yeah, he needed amoxicillin or something it's like that. It's not a crux. Because so many movies they'll use that like at the during the climax like oh the kid's gonna die if i don't get him his inhaler and it's just like it's just gets a little too uh redundant it works in plenty of movies really well like panic room is great it worked in the village yeah but i think yeah. it's such a trope in horror film yeah and the ending of the film is is so emotional because reagan and lee they have this back and forth where Reagan shuts herself emotionally off from Lee pretty much and from the rest of her family in a way because she still has so much guilt and blames herself for Bo's death. And she doesn't think that Lee loves her anymore because she thinks that Lee blames her and is and it's because of her that Bo died. But she doesn't really understand that Lee loves her so much and always has loved her. That's why he spends 
every night tirelessly trying to fix her implant to, to help her, her hear it so, so that she can be protected in this world where you have to be able to hear your sounds to try to stay alive. And he works tirelessly on that. And it's not until after he's gone and sacrifices himself for her and so emotional when, when he signs that I've always loved you to her. I'm like getting emotional thinking about it. And then he sacrifices himself to save his children. And then she then she goes into the basement. She finds all the hearing devices that he's been trying to solder together to try to figure it out. And he has his own little station dedicated to that. It's just really emotional that she finally understands that every day of his life, he's always loved her and has been trying to protect her. That's all he wanted to do. Wouldn't it be funny if he signed, I have always loved you and then runs away? (laughs) 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 It would have killed him. (laughs) No, like, because the alien's good attacking them. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah it's on the truck <laughs> you're nuts man <laughs> you're like laughing when bo gets killed and now you want the other kids to get... you have a thing with children man <laughs> no i don't i'm i'm a, I'm a normal human you're a great uncle <laughs> want to head over to uh some superlatives yeah let's do some superlatives of this film all right who do you think's the mvp the mvp i think it's got to be lee because he's been He's such an integral figure to the adaption of uh, adaptation of this family for survival. Um, in terms of you know, I'm, he does a lot of work with the security of their of their home and their protection, and sacrifices himself to save the f- the three of them. So I think him giving up his life for his family is the most MVP move you can make. That's pretty MVP level right there. <laughs> I would go not not just Lee, but John Krasinski is the MVP because. He wrote, directed, produced, and starred in this, and he knocked it out of the park. It's a fantastic film, um, and he he wrote a great story, and I just think it's, it's an unbelievable movie, and I can't wait for the second one. So MVP because of the many hats he wore. Best scene. I would say that the final scene is the best The best scene when um, they finally kill that, that first death angel, and then Reagan puts her... Um, the earpiece onto the speaker and then it, the camera pans over to Emily Blunt and she just cocks the shotgun cut to black yeah. great it's a great, great scene. scene it's a great ending I love the opening scene on the train tracks when we finally get to see the monster when it takes Bo but also I also love the water in the basement scene the flooding basement that's a great scene I think that's so terrifying and I scream every time I see the alien that's just oh like my God. you don't notice it at first yeah. and then you look it's like oh it's at the stairs right there yeah. oh my god it's like alien the movie yeah. you know what I mean it's, it's like you didn't notice it when when Ripley's on the ship at the end and then the alien just like you, you it just like moves inside of that yeah. the wall and you're like, like oh my god like the alien's right in. there yeah. oh man best actor uh, Emily Blunt hands down agreed Emily Blunt without it's a doubt insanely talented John Krasinski's a great Great talent, but Emily Blunt is just different level. Yeah, generational talent. Nonverbal acting is insane. Yeah. Best line, I have always loved you. Uh crying. Mine is, uh, "Who are we if we can't protect them?" Best shot. My favorite shot is the reveal of Emily Blunt's character, Evelyn. It's during it's in that store in the opening, and what Krasinski did was, um. He the the shot is framed right um, behind the the pill containers, um, that little shelf, and the camera it starts um, with those in the in the foreground, and then it the camera is focused on Emily Blunt's feet walking across the store, and then as she approaches, the camera pulls back up, and then it focuses on her face as she starts looking through the pills, 
And I think it's a brilliant shot because Krasinski's showing us that um, she's walking around barefoot. So he's showing the rules of the world. And he waits until Emily Blunt is right up to the camera's lens until we finally see her face. I think it's an excellent reveal of explaining what's going on while revealing, revealing a character. Yeah. Speaking of barefoot, I think some people might have issues like why aren't they wearing socks? Why aren't they maybe towels on their feet or something? But if you think about it, non-socks and just barefoot is the quietest you could probably walk in all circumstances. Maybe socks are quieter on specific sur surfaces, but they're also slippery on hardwood floors or tiles. So I think it makes sense that they're wearing nothing on their feet like hobbits. And also socks wear out especially if you're walking on the earth, like in concrete and in the dirt, like they would just, in a few days, your your socks, you, would, you'd have to throw them out. They'd be full of holes. And on top of that, the longer, the more you walk on your bare feet, the stronger they get. So you would actually have a pretty strong foundation on the bottom, your soles of your feet, where as if you were just always wearing socks, you wouldn't develop that strength. So no socks. And my best, my favorite shot, I think it's going to be when Lee lights that fire on top of the tower of Bo's photos and, and possessions and, we see he pan, and Krasinski and the cinematographer, they just pan throughout the entire area of all the, in the emptiness of the trees and just lights and fires and other fires just erupt throughout the area and show that other families, other survivors, they're, they probably do this ritual every single night. And it really shows you that they're not completely alone. There are people out there. What do you think is the most underrated aspect of this movie? Cinematography. It's, it's exceptional. Yeah, it's great cinematography. And I mean, sound editing is fantastic as I well. say sound design. Sound design. They got an Oscar nom for it. Yeah, sound design is fantastic in this movie. Most likely to get their own movie, The Reagan. Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say Reagan. I think she would grow up to be a badass. Yeah. Yeah. And then Faults. Um, I don't think this movie has any real faults. I think it's a, a really a perfect movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say maybe some of the editing here and there, but aside from that, everything is is phenomenal. It's a it's it's a perfect movie. I mean, I'm not saying that it's the best horror movie ever made. It's the best movie this century, but it's a perfect movie in terms of er the filmmaking is top notch. The acting's great. The dialogue and minimal script writing is is great. The editing's great. Also, it's 90 minutes. Perfect time for a first horror movie. 90 minutes. Yeah, that's those. It's quick. It flies over. by. Yeah. Are there any scenes that you imagine that could have happened or should have happened? Like whenever you watch, it's like, oh, it would have been cool if they did that. I was expecting like Lee to have like a fight with the aliens. But when you think about it, how could a human yeah, even stand a chance yeah. against one of them? Yeah, like when impossible. he grabs the, the axe, it's like, oh, he's going to fuck one of them up. It's like, he's a human. He can't, it's do, so anything. He can't yeah. do anything against these things. It's like fighting a, an armored lion. Yeah. It's so strong. And they're fast too. Yeah. I would say I would, I would have liked to see... The kids be more productive on the farm like they had jobs that they were doing on the farm as well you know what i mean well the thing again with reagan she they don't let her do anything because she's a hazard to herself because she can't hear any noises yeah, so that's a good point so she can't really do much yeah but i think marcus like he could have been doing something well he's rather he's than just playing in the car he's also getting education from his mother and yeah, stuff yeah. like that yeah you're right you're right give him a break he's nine and the world's ending want to move on to some trivia let's do some trivia yeah in order to connect with the characters, John Krasinski actually edited A Quiet Place without any sound. And according to according to him, the movie could work without any sound whatsoever, and he even thought about releasing it that way. And also, it was initially intended to leave the American Sign Language unsubtitled, believing that the audience would understand the subtext of what was going on. But after the, and even the first trailer has none of the sign language subtitled at all. But... um. One of the scenes, the specific scene where Reagan and Lee are in an argument regarding her her implants, her hearing implants, it was decided that the filmmakers, 
that sequence had to be subtitled since they did that. They just did the rest of the ASL through the movie. Yeah, that scene would have been hard to follow because it's like two minutes of them signing. And so it would have been like, what exactly are they talking? What exactly are they saying? But the rest of it, you could probably understand yeah, everything that's going on because it's very simple dialogue. That's yeah. the thing. That's, this movie is mostly a silent film. That's mm -hmm. why he was able to edit it without any without any sound because it, it he shot it so well where you can understand everything just from visually what you're looking at. The family name Abbott is uh, is a Catholic word, and in Catholicism, Abbott means the leader of a monastery. And the leaders of monasteries, like the Abbots, they lead self-sufficient communities which support themselves through means of farming, um, like the family in this film. And some monasteries are even silent, so members will not wear shoes, and they will communicate very, very infrequently. Uh, with spoken language and will often and they'll always pray together in silence like the family does at dinner at the dinner table this is how good of an actress emily blunt is so the bathtub scene when she screams and giving birth um that was done by emily blunt in one take and according to krasinski as soon as he said cut blunt immediately fell out of character and asked the crew what's everyone having for lunch <laughs> yeah she ain't a method actor <laughs> <laughs> Actress Millicent Simmons has been deaf has been deaf since infancy due to a medication overdose. This was the second film she starred in. The first one was Wonderstruck, which which came out in 2017. Although this film had a huge box office of 340 million dollars on a budget of 17, making it a huge success, the movie theater businesses were less enthusiastic about it because since the film is so quiet. And for the most part, this is the quietest movie I've ever been to see in theaters. I mean, you can actually hear everything around you in the theater versus the film, which is an interesting experience. A lot of audiences uh, chose not to like get things like popcorn or soda or candy to oh, eat so during they lost so, money. So they lost a lot of money on concessions, which is where they make a ton of cheddar. And so that's why the movie theaters weren't super happy about this film because you know they, they lost out on some profit for sure, even though that they made plenty. Yeah, they make. They were doing fine before everything happened. I mean, their shit's overpriced anyways. Like, $5 bottle of water? Come on. Just give me a cup of it for free. I just don't get anything. I walk into the theater, I get my ticket, and I go right to the screen. You are the coolest person alive. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, man. What do you... Well, I hate when people, like, you go to the movies with someone else, like, whether it's on a date or with friends, and they're like, all right, what should we get? And I'm and I'm always like, I don't want to get, like, a sausage or, like, nachos. Yeah. I'm, I, like, I'm here to yeah. watch a movie. Yeah. I seldom get food. But, I mean, I understand it. It's the experience. Like, it's the thing. You go to the movies, you get popcorn, you get a, a hot dog, maybe. It's like going to a baseball game. I, I Yeah, I, I totally get it. I just, when I watch a movie, I'm just, like, invested in the movie from start to finish, and I don't really like distracting myself too much yeah. at all. I mean, unless I eat... I haven't eaten in a while. I usually get, I'll get some like peanut M&Ms. That's like my oh, go-to. Yeah, you like peanut peanut M&Ms yeah. all day. Yeah. Or Twizzlers. Not Red not Vines. vines. Twizzlers. If you, if you like Red Vines, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll still appreciate you listening. So you can like Red Vines and I'll support you. I'm kidding. You can stay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what do you think? Um, What do you think the sequel could be about? Well, obviously, we're going to get the prequel aspects. I mean, the um, the event, oh, the flashbacks yeah. of how it the happened. Day, the day, yeah, day one yeah, of, of the invasion. That will obviously say. be the, the prologue. And then I'm sure the sequel will just follow the three of them traveling and meeting other survivors. Um, Killian Murphy's one of the lead actors in the movie, so mm -hmm. he looks like he's going to be a survivor, too. And then uh, Jimon Huzu's in it, too. So it looks like them two maybe have... Their own little small household of people who are surviving together. Maybe they stumble across them. So it looks like maybe sort of like kind of season two of The Walking Dead, just like wandering around trying to find a safe place. 
Uh, yeah, I think there will also be an aspect of now that they know the weakness of the aliens, this second film will be about maybe kind of trying to band together and build a community to fight back. Yeah. So it could be the beginning of trying to to fight back against the Death Angels and try to reclaim the Earth again. And I bet you will have some power struggles of humanity and maybe if there's a small community like we'll, we see in every survival story or a post-apocalyptic movie where, you know, politics gets involved and power gets involved and corruption happens. So I bet you we're going to get little aspects of all of that. What do all men with power want? More, More power. power. <laughs> all right, I'm good. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Raiders of Lost Podcast. Make sure to head on over to RaidersOfLostPodcast.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Hit the notification bell. Leave us some likes. Become a patron. And thank you so much for tuning in to A Quiet Place. Take care, everyone. Shh.